You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Greetings, fellow believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I want to show that the existence and the ministry of the church was prophesied in the Old Testament. In preparation, we need to look at some key factors concerning the nation of Israel. First of all, we need to recognize that God has a specific plan for the people of Israel. Now, after God freed the nation of Israel from Egypt, he established them as the evangelistic agent to represent his truth to the rest of the world. We learn about Israel's commission at Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. There are many passages that amplify this, but I'll mention just two more. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, and Isaiah 43, 10. So yes, Israel was given this unique and awesome privilege to be God's representatives on the earth. However, from the very beginning, the nation as a whole failed to fulfill God's plan for them. Jeremiah summarized both factors at Jeremiah 13, 11. For as the undergarment clings to the waist of a man... So I made the entire household of Israel and the entire household of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, so that they might be my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they did not listen. Jesus summarized their failure at Matthew 23, 29 through 36. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs for the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you snakes, you offspring of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you will fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." And as a result, Jesus pronounced the destruction of the Jewish nation at Luke 21, 23, and 24. There will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Because of the nation's failure, 
it was temporarily removed from being God's evangelistic agent. And since God never leaves himself without a witness, he temporarily replaced Israel with a different group of believers to be his representatives on the earth. This was prophesied at Deuteronomy 32, 15 through 22. And it was announced by Jesus during his ministry. In Matthew 21, 33 through 43. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower. And he leased it to wine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his fruit. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves more than the first, and they did the same things to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take possession of his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, uh, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and lease the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the fruit in the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this has become the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And this change, it was implemented on the day of Pentecost in 30 AD, and it is described by Peter in his letter at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, speaking about the church, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This scenario is also the subject of Romans chapters 9 through 11. Basically, God had a plan for Israel, but that plan was interrupted through Israel's rejection of Jesus. And God then created the church to represent him on the earth. But even that failure on the part of Israel will result in blessing upon the nation for actually anyone who will trust in Jesus. And the result will be a new evangelistic agent comprised of both Jew and Gentile. As recorded at Romans 9, 22 through 26, now God, who was willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with great patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon objects of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, namely us, whom he also called not only from among Jews, but also from among Gentiles. And then Paul quotes from Hosea to show the prophecy of this new group of servants. This passage anticipates the salvation of the Gentiles in the church body, but it also looks to the ultimate blessing upon both Jew and Gentile 
in the Messiah's earthly kingdom. So quoting from Hosea at Romans 9.25, he also says in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there you shall be called sons of the living God. At Galatians 3.26, Paul wrote, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And at Galatians 4, 6 and 7, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Well, this new evangelistic body or spiritual nation will be built or was built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul continued at Romans 9, 31 through 33. However, Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though they could by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. This is just as Jesus said in Matthew 6, 18, 16, 18, Upon this, the rock, referring to himself, I will build my church. And also, as Paul continued uh, at Romans 10, 19 and 20, But I say to you, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous with those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will anger you. And that was quoted from Deuteronomy 32. And Isaiah is very bold and says, quoting from Isaiah 65, 1, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. And it is this quote that sets the stage for understanding the rest of the chapter. Isaiah 65, then, gives us a unique prophecy of this whole scenario. First, we notice that Isaiah 64, 8 through 12, shows the nation of Israel in a condition of severe discipline and wrath from God. And we have the plea from a humility recognition of their situation that is seen at verses 9 and 12. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord, nor remember wrongdoing forever. Behold, please, look, all of us are your people. At verse 12, will you restrain yourself at these things, Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? Well, the answer is no. But only those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thus, the response of the people at the first coming of the Messiah, at Isaiah 65, verse 1 and following, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. And the quote of this by Paul is the basis for our understanding of the rest of the chapter. I have to summarize many verses here to get to what I want to show you in the uh, time frame that I have. At verses 2 through 7, we have a summary of the fact that Israel rejects God and is rejected by God. At verses 8 through 10, we have the announcement 
of the provision of the Messiah. I will act on behalf of my servants in order not to destroy all of them. Now, my servants refers to those who will believe in the messianic promise in the future. The ones described in verse 10, my people who seek me. It has in view a group of people that is different from the nation of Israel. Continuing, and I will bring forth a seed from Jacob and an heir of my mountain from Judah. This should be translated as, uh, pardon me, this should not be translated as seeds, plural, as it is in some uh, versions. The seed is the same person as the heir and refers to the Messiah at his first coming. Continuing, and my chosen ones shall inherit it and my servants shall dwell there. The word chosen ones means the elect ones, the ones chosen, the ones the set aside as special and unique by God. In the uh, Greek translation of the uh, Old Testament, the Septuagint, the word there is eklektos, the same word that's used in the New Testament for the elect. The passage before us sets up a contrast between two groups of people. The chosen ones, who are my servants, that is, those who seek and accept the Messiah, and the other group is identified as you. You refers to the Messiah rejectors of the nation of Israel. At verse 11, you who forsake the Lord. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the group designated as my servants falls into three categories. They all have the same qualification to be called elect and servant, and that qualification is trust in the Messiah. First group would be believers uh, who are alive at the time of the, write, of, of the writer. Second group would be believers in the future Messiah generation uh, at his redemption advent. The third group will be believers who enter the future Davidic earthly kingdom. Now, these will be in view at verses 65, 17 through 25. But before that, we have a very unique section. Uh, first of all, verses 11 and 12, this shows the rejection of the nation, looking forward to the actual final destruction of Jerusalem after they reject Jesus as the Messiah. That is the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It reads there, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will bow down to the slaughter, because I called, but you did not answer. I spoke but you did not listen. Instead, you did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. Now, because of the context provided through Paul's quote of verse 65-1, we can see this as looking far into the future to the 70 AD destruction of the nation and the dispersion of the Jewish people throughout the world. It also provides a very interesting perspective on verses 13 through 16. It shows us the believers who will trust in the Messiah at his first advent, believers out from both Jews and Gentiles. And these will become the new evangelistic agent, the new priestly body, the new spiritual nation, whose purpose it is to show forth the character of God, who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. So in this section, we have a distinction between the group designated as you, and the group designated as my servants. Isaiah 65, 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, 
but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. The new servants are those Jews and Gentiles who trust in Jesus as the Savior. These will have spiritual prosperity. They will have spiritual food and drink and experience the peace and joy of spiritual life by their relationship with God through trust in the Messiah. Now, Jesus said concerning these new servants, I am come that you might have life and have abundance. This refers to the peace and joy of the abundant life that was taught by Jesus and amplified by the apostles. Several places in John and then at Romans 14, 17, Paul summarized it by saying, The kingdom of God does not revolve around eating and drinking, but in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those who accept Jesus as the bread of life will never hunger, John 6. And those who accept the water of life of Christ's salvation provision will never thirst, John 4. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But the people of Israel who reject the Messiah will continue in their spiritual hunger and thirst, and in 70 AD the nation will be judged, and those individuals who survive will be scattered throughout the Roman Empire as refugees and slaves. Isaiah 65:14. Behold, my servants shall shout joyfully with a glad heart, but you shall cry out with a heavy heart, and you shall wail with a broken spirit. The new priestly body will have spiritual prosperity and happiness, even in the mid of uh, uh, general persecution, which is um, taught by Jesus and found in the letters of the apostles. But the nation of Israel, its citizenry scattered throughout the world, will be in spiritual and societal misery. At Deuteronomy 28, 64 through 67, we have a prophecy of this situation. Furthermore, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you will serve other gods made of wood and stone, which you and your fathers have not known. Among those nations you will find no peace, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes and despair of soul. So your lives will be hanging in doubt before you and you will be terrified night and day and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you will say, if only it were evening. And at evening you will say, if only it were morning. Because of the terror of your heart, which you fear in the sight of your eyes, which you will see. Isaiah 65, 15. And you will leave your name for a curse. The name Jew has been feared, disrespected, hated, and maligned all through the years since the crucifixion of Jesus. The Jewish people since that time have inherited the stigma of the generation that crucified Jesus. And the Jewish people at that time unknowingly claimed this very curse upon themselves uh, at Cruz's trial before Pilate. Matthew 27, 25. And all the people answered, His blood be on us. And on our children. Continuing at Isaiah 65, I will leave uh, your name for a curse to my chosen ones. This is the same word we saw above. It's uh, the Hebrew word bakir, and again in the Septuagint, it is eklektos. It refers to those who trust in Jesus as the Messiah Savior, 
Thus, while the name Jew is cursed, the blessings that were originally meant for them are now extended to the church, which is comprised of individuals from all races. Uh, continuing at Isaiah 65, and the Lord God will slay you. The nation of Israel will be destroyed. The temple will be demolished and their cultural heritage will be blown to the wind to be remembered and practiced only by families and individuals as they are scattered throughout the world as slaves and wanderers without any focal point for their worship other than copies of the scriptures which God allowed to be preserved. Again, continuing, but my servants will be called by another name. The new priestly body, the new representatives of God's truth on the earth will be known by a different name other than Jew and Israel. I think there are three viable choices for this different name. Perhaps the new designation would be the chosen ones, the elect, such as at Colossians 3.12, Romans 8.33, and 2 Timothy 2.10. Or it might simply be the designation sons of God, as seen at Hosea 1.10, uh, which is quoted at Romans 9.25 and 26. We saw it earlier. It shall be that in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Now, although it's nothing to be dogmatic about, it seems that to me, the best choice is that the servants and the elect will bear, will bear the very title of the Messiah himself, Christian. Now, Acts 11, 26, 26, 28, 1 Peter 4, 16 uses this term. Now, although originally this was given as an insult, Christian has become the universal designation for those who worship Jesus, even those who are not true believers. So with the new servants, and the new elect ones, the Christians, those who have trusted in the Messiah at his uh, first coming, there will be a new spiritual reality based on the success of Messiah's sacrifice and the building of this new priestly house. That new spiritual reality will be positional union with Christ. Every believer will be in a spiritual union with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Galatians 3, 27 and 28 all have a, uh, have the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is uh, a new spiritual reality that was not experienced in the past. And the focus will now be on the God of truth rather than the God of Israel because Israel will no longer be the representative of God on the earth, having been temporarily removed. So the focus of the believers now in the new priestly body will be the God of truth. At Isaiah 16, uh, pardon me, 65, 16, it reads, Because he who is blessed in the earth shall be blessed by the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hidden from my sight. Uh, the word because begins to explain this new spiritual reality, starting with the converts of the Messiah generation, the new priestly body, the church. And then, as the prophets frequently do, combining the Redeemer advent with the judge advent, Isaiah advances to the next stage for Israel, which will be after discipline, 
and after judgment, and will be the fulfillment of her kingdom blessings in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This term, new heavens and new earth, refers to the millennial kingdom, but also extends to the new physical universe, which will come into existence at the end of the millennial kingdom. But that is not revealed until the New Testament. The focus here in Isaiah is on the new earthly environment that will exist when God returns to Israel and fulfills the blessings promised to them. The phrase, the God of truth, should probably be rendered the God of faithfulness. The word in the Hebrew is amen, which means faithfulness. And the, signif the significance of this title is that God will have brought to completion his promised plans for the redemption of the human race and the future inheritance of Israel. Although Israel will not be in blessing at the time that the new priestly body is functioning, it is in fact the reality uh, of that new body that declares the faithfulness of God. It is that faithfulness of God when it is proclaimed and understood that confirms the future fulfillment of the promises that were originally given to Abraham. The focus then will be on the God of faithfulness, the God who fulfills his promises, not on the God of Israel. The verse continues, former troubles forgotten, hidden from my sight. This seems to refer to the failures, the sins of Israel in general, with application to the sins of all mankind. Uh, the sins of the human race have now been placed upon the Son, and forgiveness is extended to all people through faith in Christ, as is summarized at Acts 10, 42 and 43. And he ordered us to proclaim to the people and to testify solemnly that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify of him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. First, the penalty for sin is removed for all who believe, Romans 6.23. Second, all the failures of the nation of Israel are also removed for individuals who believe. And for the physical nation of Israel, their national failures will be a thing of the past. Once she is restored from discipline and brought into the millennial kingdom. But the basis for that is indeed the sacrifice of the Messiah for sins. The new covenant of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and Hebrews 10, 16 through 17, is fulfilled first and foremost within the church in a spiritual sense, and then for the nation of Israel in the spiritual sense, and ultim ultimately in the physical sense, when they are restored to God's favor. This will fulfill the promises of the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel 9. Those uh, initial promises are, one, to bring to an end the transgression, the specific failure of the nation of Israel. Second, to make an end of sins. And third, to make a covering for iniquity. Thus, at the time that the kingdom begins, all Israel will be in a state of belief. Romans 11, 25 through 27 concludes with, thus all Israel will be saved. But before this national blessing is fulfilled for Israel, the church as the temporary replacement for Israel will function as God's servants and his elect ones. Now let's make clarification. This is a temporary replacement. This is not replacement theology. 
that teaches basically the church is the ultimate and final replacement of Israel, and Israel has no future. This is not what the Bible teaches. The church is the temporary replacement of Israel. Israel failed to fulfill its purpose as God's representative on the earth. They were disciplined, removed from that function, and replaced by the church, the new evangelistic body, which is called a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy people in First Peter. And that perhaps gives you a new perspective of Isaiah 65. Till next time. Hope everyone prospers and uh, have a great day. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 